0: Thank you
1: Greetings and salutations, dear listeners. It is I, Cody Sullivan, back from the void once more with my cabal of cohorts to bring you some new tales sure to prickle you with goose flesh. We've truly missed you and hope that this episode finds you well and in good health and happiness. As always, the stories in the program can be gruesome and disturbing to some so it behooves me to point out plainly that listener's discretion is advised. At long last, Season 2 of Pulp will begin trickling in this coming year, with no hard schedule to start. As you can imagine, things are a little strange right now, and that can hold up the production aspect of the program a bit more than we'd like. Fear not. We'll be releasing new episodes as soon as we are finished with them. New episode drops will be... something of a surprise. So if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our program to be notified when new content drops. While you're at it, if you would kindly review our show wherever you listen, it would be very appreciated. It helps us more than you know. Now. With that out of the way, this is Pulp, so let's begin. Mr. Ah, yes, the open sea. To some, the very thought is frightening and disturbing. Alone with nothing for miles in any direction you look. That is, of course, unless you look down into the obscuring, briny depths. What secrets lie beneath? What... Horrors, unforeseen, lurk mere inches beneath your raft. And what, pray tell, is the source of that enchanted song whose ethereal tune hangs lightly on the wind? Keep an ear out, and you'll hear it. This tale, written by Gustav Grift, is called Songs of Starving. The singing started on the first night. Luckily, the three sailors on the makeshift life raft had managed to take a cask of water off the sinking ship as they fled, and knew well enough to ration it. They hadn't been so lucky with food, but that was a problem for a later time. There would, they assumed, be fish. They slept in shifts, and Harold, the bosun, was on watch when it began. Huh?
2: What the hell?
1: Guys, guys, do you hear that? His shipmates, the cook and the cabin boy, snored loudly and couldn't be roused.
3: You're just the sort of thing I've been waiting for. Thick and strong. Weary, though, and sunbaked and... hungry?
1: The bosun looked about him in shock for the unseen stranger.
2: Who is this? Where are
3: you? Please, can you help us? Help? How could I help you? Would you come with me to my palace of bones in the Salt Mother's dark bosom? I think not. If you did that, your lovely skin would turn all nasty gray and your eyes would bulge out and finally, you'd get all crumpled by every bit of water in the wide world sitting on your head. Then all there'd be for me to do would be to chase off the crabs before they picked away your pretty face. Which would, of course, be much less pretty after all. Help? With advice, perhaps? Don't let the waves and the passing days take the life from your cheeks or the beautiful, thick belly. Stay lovely, if only for me.
1: The bosun scanned the horizon and saw only waves and stars. Then he peered over the edge of the tiny raft just in time to watch a comely body and a cloud of raven black hair disappear into the depths. The next day he told the cook and the cabin boy about the uncanny incident and immediately regretted it.
0: (laughs) You dumb son of a bitch. You're so starved for tail, you looked at a fish and see a woman.
1: The cabin boy, who never spoke, grinned his wide grin, but kept his gaze on the ocean.
0: I don't know what you find so funny, lad. I tell you, I'd sleep with one eye open. You'll not only keep this one from fondling you in your dreams, but you may even see a real live siren.
1: (laughs) The youth's smile faded, and he sat back down, hunched up in his peculiar way not talking but using his fingers to count something on the horizon
2: all right all right you goddamn pervert listen i know what i saw your lazy asses couldn't be bothered to wake up so don't lecture me about dreams and fantasies
1: one day as much as the last on the open sea and so it was for the sailors in the days that followed they very nearly succeeded at quenching their thirst with water budgeted from the barrel The only sounds were the waves, distant gulls, and the rumbling of the sailors' guts.
0: It's the damnedest thing. An ocean full of goddamn fish and not a goddamn one of them in arm's reach. "'I tell ya, boys, when we get into port, I'm gonna get myself a table at whatever podunk inn we find, open up a tab, and eat lamb and pork and pie and taters till I—' "'Listen, Cookie, do me a favor
2: and just shut the hell up about all that, will ya?'
1: The cook did as the bosun said but no quantity of silence fills sailors' stomachs. As the cook had noted, neither fish nor bird nor any other beast came anywhere near their pathetic craft. At times, Cookie would lapse into idle talk, trying to start a pleasant conversation with the bosun or even the cabin boy. The latter was folly, and the former inevitably turned into a quarrel. By midday, not even the bitter wind that blew off the sea could cut through the stolid silence. Night came. The cabin boy sat the first watch, the cook the second, and finally the bosun. The cook had barely laid down his head when the singing began anew. Cookie! Cookie! Wake
2: up, you stupid, lazy son of a bitch! The singing, it's back!
3: He won't wake up, dear. To ears such as his, my song brings only slumber. Men like him just drift through the world, gorging themselves on its base pleasures, but never paying heed to the meaning beneath it all. Not you, though. Never you.
2: Oh, oh yeah? And what am I like? What could you possibly know about me?
1: There was the faintest disturbance atop the moonlit waves, as a head of black damp hair emerged from the foam, followed by pale hands. These pulled back a curtain of sodden bangs, revealing a pale, grinning face. The dark eyes and wide smile were feral, but alluring.
3: I know you've strong, beautiful arms and a striking jaw. I know that you hear me, which is more than I can say of that one."
1: She gestured a lithe arm toward the sleeping cook, and the hairs on the bosun's arms stood on end. His stomach turned at the idea of a man so coarse as to disregard the beautiful stranger.
2: Yes. Well, I'll... I'll not pretend I like the man. Still, it's hardly a crime to be skeptical about... Well, whatever it is you
3: are. Is that really how you feel, Harold? Wait. How do you know... I listen, Harold. And so should you. If only one of you, you or the cook, that is, were to live on and shape the surface of the world after this... It would please me if it were you. Harold, you're so hungry. You must eat to keep up your strength.
2: Yes, yes, of course. Can you bring me food, fish, gulls, anything, please?
3: Sweet, beautiful man. My food would not nourish you any more than salt mother's blood.
2: Wait a bit, what are you about? what do you know of men and
3: what's your business with me am I beautiful to you Harold salt mother keeps me so by her cold embrace I am old Harold ancient I have met your kind conversed with such as would heat me more men float adrift than you would care to know they are not all like you though it would suit me if they were Prosper, Harold for me.
2: Small chance of that. Wasting away on a raft in the middle of the Atlantic.
3: Do you also fail to heed me, sweet man? There are ships near this place. Salt Mother whispers of them. If you would only last out the moon. If one might die so that two could live. No That's abomination.
2: I'd sooner throw myself into the brine.
3: What a pity that would be. Especially if your coarse companion does not feel the same. But dawn is here and I must away. Farewell for now.
2: Wait! Don't go! Please, when will the ship get here?
0: How long? <sighs> Harold, you dumb son of a whore. You woke me up with your carrying on. Ugh, trouble in paradise with your pretend fish wife. Let me know if she's suddenly unattached. I'm hornier and... You enough.
2: close your jaw before I break it,
0: uncouth galley swab. Tough talk, bo'sun. It ain't like that. "'Ain't like that at all, sailor! "'I'd be careful with that tough talk if I was you. "'You so much as lay a finger on me, "'and I'll carve you up like a goddamn strip of salt beef!'
1: "'The cook's hand went to the length of cord holding up his pants "'and padded his dearest possession. "'A large carving knife, as yet untarnished by the salt spray. "'The bosun eyed the knife,' then stared down the cook, who abruptly turned away and hung his feet over the side of the raft.
0: Not so much a fingerling in this whole fucking ocean.
1: The beautiful maiden did not speak to the bosun that night, but he heard her singing in the waves nearby. No matter how frantically he called out, neither she nor his slumbering companions answered him. Weeks went on like this. Silences between the bosun and the cook lasted days, while the cabin boy continued to count phantasms on the horizon. The water cask was nearly empty, but the beleaguered crew kept their discipline. It was hunger that assailed them. Then one night, while he sat the final watch, starving to death and crazed from the crashing of the waves, the bosun heard the strangers singing. It was tantalizingly close. Her delicate white hands breached the water first and clutched the side of the raft. The bosun scrambled to them, clutching them and kissing them as the maiden's head and shoulders emerged. They were cold and salty and slick, but the bosun didn't care.
3: Poor sweet man. Beautiful man. What is becoming of you? Why do you choose to die? I have stayed distant because I cannot bear to see your godlike visage waste away to naught. Please,
2: oh God, please.
3: Stay with me. I can't stand the silence another day. And you will not, unless you eat. Listen. There is a ship not five nights hence, but you will not live to see it unless you eat. Why must three die when two may yet live? Just
2: a boy. Elias, I mean. The, The cabin boy.
3: Yes, yes. He must live on, poor thing. You both must make your move before that other creature fades away to uselessness. Goodbye, beautiful man, until we meet again. All right, goddammit, I'll do it. Are you happy? I'll cut him up and I'll eat him and wait for your
2: goddamn ship. But don't leave me again, you hear me? Please don't leave
0: me again.
1: The bosun spun around and lunged for the cook's belt line, but the sleeper's eyes shot open. Before the bosun was upon him, the cook had the knife in hand and was slashing at his would-be attacker's face and hands, painting the deck
0: with blood. You gonna eat me, is that it? Pick old cookie apart till you get rescued by some plush merchant ship? I don't think so, you delusional bastard.
1: The knife hand struck out again, this time aiming for the bosun's guts. Harold wrenched onto the cook's wrist just before the blow landed, but the knife broke the skin anyway. Slowly, slowly, it inched towards his innards as the stranded sailors struggled for control of the blade. With the final strength of a dying man, the bosun wrenched his adversary's wrists away, removing the knife and shoving it into the cook one, then two, then three times before he was pushed hard towards the edge of the raft. Still clutching the knife, the wounded bosun staggered backward just as a great swell ran beneath the craft, pitching him into the brine where he thrashed and gurgled for a moment before surrendering to the depths.
0: Well, boy, what in Davy John's name are you waiting for? (coughs) Come help me get these wounds cleaned and bound.
1: The boy stood up. Humming softly to nobody in particular, with ease, he picked up the heavy oaken water barrel.
0: Not with the drinking water, you dumb bastard. Salt water'll do fine for these cuts.
2: I'll do it. Just come back.
0: What is this? What the hell is this? No! No! No!
1: Obsessed arms brought the barrel down hard, and the cabin boy found himself alone. Please. I did it. I'll do
2: what you asked of me. Just. just come back.
1: Whether by good fortune or pelagic treachery, the foretold boat did not arrive in five days' time, but at dusk that very evening.
0: We found him alone and adrift, naked as the day he was born. He looks healthy enough, but he uh, don't say nothing.
1: Boy, can you hear me?
0: Begging your pardon, Captain, but he don't say nothing at all.
1: Boy, will you take passage on my ship? The cabin boy nodded. And will you follow my rules? Will you work? Twice again, the boy nodded. All right, then. Davis, give the boy some clothes. Bring him to his bunk. Soon as he's had a moment to get himself cleaned up and dressed, bring him something to drink and a hot meal. The boy's eyes went wide and his hand clutched at his distended stomach. No. What? Speak up. What do you mean by that boy? No... Thank you, Captain.
2: I, I've already eaten.
1: Zowie. <laughs> Anyone still hungry after that? Good. Because we have another story for you which, in a way, involves eating, chewing, and biting. What can we say? After so long away, we've really worked up an appetite. More on that in a moment. But first, it's time for this episode's scheduled ad break. Brought to you by the fine people of Compass CBDTHC. Hi there, I'm Cody Sullivan, president of the River Power podcast mill and creator of Pulp From Beyond the Veil. If you couldn't already guess, I love horror. I always have. But I'm getting older now, and things just don't scare me the way they used to. Each morning is a struggle to remain in bed, stationary under the covers, for fear of what the day has in store for me ahead. That's why I'm so proud to be partnering with the good folks at Compass CBD THC to sponsor this program. Compass CBD THC is not like other CBD treatments. Competitors will actually brag about how their product is virtually THC-free. They will actually market their product to people to help reduce feelings of anxiety, pain, and paranoia. Not Compass CBD THC, though. Just two convenient sprays of Compass under your tongue is all it takes to get absolutely fucked up. I mean it. With Compass CBD THC, say goodbye to checking the mail in the morning or leaving your house to get that gallon of milk or go to work. You're going to get so fucked up, you're going to swear there are people in your walls filming you and sending the tapes to your stepdad while he's at work. He's going to know you're absolutely fucking rocked right now. The people at Compass CBD THC were kind enough to send me a sample of their convenient therapeutic spray, and I can tell you firsthand that I'm high right now and I'm scared. Pulp listeners can get 10% off Compass CBD THC spray today by going to fear420.com and entering the promo code, when will this stop? That's one word, when will this stop at fear420.com. So if you're tired of droning through life placid and unafraid, stop using your traditional CBD supplements and try Compass CBD THC today. Compass CBD THC. It will fuck with you. Yes, yes, we all could learn a lot from the folks at Compass. Like how not to get comfortable being comfortable. Scared or not, it's time to move along, however, as we have one more story left to share with you. This next story is a bit of a recycle job on our account. While the story was indeed written by C.A. Sullivan and is every measure a pulp story, it first debuted earlier this year on the Halloween episode of this program's sister podcast, Science Night, hosted by James Reed and James Organ. When you've finished with this program, head on over to their page to give them a listen. Zombies have been a pervasive part of pop horror culture since the dawn of the dead, and for good reason. They play off of a gambit of very human fears, sickness and disease, rot and decay, violence, and perhaps most terrifying of all, the loss of one's own free will. Such is the case with the protagonist of this next story, as we join him after the apocalyptic action has already begun stuck in an elevator, not exactly alone, and even worse, bit. Well, I got bit. Understatement of the damn year, all things considered. I almost made it too thing is, despite what George Romero plunged into our collective subconsciousness, these things move quick. Damn quick. And the hallway outside my apartment made for a pretty decent sprint to reach the elevator and slam shut the scissor gates before one of those things could catch me from behind and and make a meal out of me. And yet, it's not as though being a snack is doing me any better. I've never been the sentimental type, so, to me, dying in this busted elevator is as good as any. And if these gates hold, then at least... Well, assuming Romero isn't wrong, then there shouldn't be any blood on my hands when this thing is through. One more loop of tape should stop the bleeding. With a wince and grit of my teeth, I wrapped the roll of duct tape, flecks of original gray peeking out from behind a sheen of red, around the ruined stump that was my right foot, all the while my pursuer gnashed at the little bits of flesh between the webbing of my toes. So I made it to the elevator just fine. I didn't want to risk taking the stairs knowing damn well there are 24 units in this building. Assuming not everyone lives alone like me, I'd estimate a good 60 or so people live here. Well, used to, judging by the screams. Sometime yesterday evening, I heard the first one. Sounded like an old woman. Maybe Joanne from 8C, just above my unit. Didn't last long, though. Went quiet before I could even try to phone emergency services. Which... Of course, didn't pick up. City of 11 million people, all trying to get a hold of the police simultaneously, and what do they do? Shut the damn phones off. I remember there was gunfire outside, and as I shook the sleep out of my head, I noticed the distant sound of screaming, not just from my building, but from seemingly all around. This time I tried the police station directly, only to hear the familiar dated sounds of a tone indicating a busy line. Hanging up the call is when I noticed all the notifications. Bright and little neat icons all in a row, texts, emails, voicemails, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, CNN, and Fox News all lined up waiting to let me know that the world as we know it had ended while I was sleeping. Phone on silent, lying on the nightstand. Lying there in that elevator, I reached for the phone in my pocket to try and get a hold of someone. Anyone who might know what had happened while I was in La La Land. And that's when it went off. That's when I learned some confirmation that Romero wasn't completely wrong. These things, they're attracted to sound. Residents of 448 Lafayette Street, mangled though they be, with crimson patches of torn flesh and dangling skin, teeth bared savagely, and their watery, unfocused eyes staring unblinking at me through the gates. A throng of reaching arms through the bars of the gate groped at the air just a few feet away from my face as the warning's tinny message ended abruptly. I was sure of it now. If this thin metal gate could hold back the weight of a dozen pissed-off ghouls intent on devouring what's left of me, then it sure as shit would keep me in here when... Well, when... I reached down and peeled back the tattered remains of my pajama bottoms. Blue flannel, save for the blood, and began studying the stump of my right foot. It's fairly easy to assume that because there are so many of these ghouls in the city that this infection, or whatever it is, is transmissible. I got bit, so I think I can assume I'm next... As soon as I had accepted this rationale, I saw it. Thin black lines radiating from the site of my wound, inching steadily up my leg. The whole stump itched like a million tiny mosquito bites and I strongly resisted the urge to scratch. I fell back in an amalgam of pain and exhaustion as I struggled to control my breathing. That was it. I got bit. I'm as good as dead. Sometime later I began to get a grip on what was left of my sanity. It helped that the zombies' chatter had died down. Oh, they were still there at the gates, arms fully extended through the bars. But at least now they were silent. I began to come to terms with the finality of my situation decided to play the role of keen scientific observer in the waning moments of my life and autonomy, plainly wondering which one would go first. The former residents of 448 Lafayette Street were ghastly to look at, but safely doomed behind these bars, I began to think of myself as a regular David Attenborough of the dead. I wondered why they stopped chattering, moaning groaning. They were so quiet that closing my eyes, I had to fight off the urge to sleep my last moments away. They were still too, like statues dripping with blood and saliva as their cloudy eyes stared through me. When I got tired of them looking at me, I picked up a screwdriver from the toolbox in the corner and hurled it. who I think used to be the doorman it was hard to be sure because his mouth had torn at the seams and his dislocated jaw elongated his head giving him an uncanny and wild look the screwdriver hit its mark between the eyes nothing no reaction at all no flinching, wincing, gasping, nothing just his dumb broken jawed smile and hands reaching hopelessly towards me The fever I had suspected was coming on could no longer be denied. Pain was throbbing with every heartbeat from the stump of my foot throughout my body, and the black lines of infection had skirted up past my groin and circumnavigated either side of my navel. And then there was the saliva. It came oozing from beneath my tongue, like some hidden levee had given way for all the moisture in my body to run out of me, sweat, blood, and spit. No one said dying was going to be pretty. And then there was the thirst. My parched throat ached, and I was keenly aware of something my father used to say to me when he'd shoot down my asking for the car keys. People in hell want ice water. They do. The pain that began in my leg had hitched a ride on the Black Vein Highway and was now wreaking havoc inside my chest. Arrhythmia, like I'd never felt before, stole my breath away as I tried to check my pulse. My best efforts put my dying heart somewhere between 160 and 170 beats per minute before another jolt of pain threw my hands down by my sides. Like all things circling the drain, the end of my life was picking up the pace, and I'd be dead, probably less than a minute. I heard the unmistakable popping of gunfire somewhere down below. The lobby maybe, automatic from the sound of it, Yes, I could even hear the boots coming up the stairs. Six camouflaged soldiers burst through the stairwell door, reawakening the frozen tableau of ghouls. The sound was too much, stabbing my ears as I cupped my hands over them and began shaking. I opened one blurry eye to see the undead residents of 448 Lafayette being cut down by the gunfire before my eyes in a misty spray of red. I wanted to stay there and lie on the ground, pretending I was dead. I began to feel something strange. My fingers began twitching and... It suddenly felt like my arms were filled with writhing snakes of corded muscle. I rolled onto my stomach and my arms began to push me up facing the noise. There was the answer. The autonomy goes first. My vision was nearly indecipherable now as the part of my brain responsible for processing visual information was boiling away in the pressure cooker of my skull. There were people talking, but I could no longer understand them. I only knew I was on my feet, well, my foot and stump because I suddenly could only sense the ground beneath them, and my hands outstretched. Something was touching my face. Metal. Metal from the gate. I was reaching out to them. I wanted... to touch them. My last thoughts were that... More than anything, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to bite them. Say I've had my fill of horror for the time being, and thus we must bring our program to a close. Once again, I can't overstate how good it feels to be back on the metaphorical horse producing content for you dear listeners. If you enjoyed today's program, please give us a follow so that you'll never miss a moment when our new stuff drops, and... Do give us a little rating, if you would be so kind. Songs of Starving was written by Gustav Grift and featured the vocal talents of Morgan Hamilton, John Grandy, Christopher Goulet, Cody Sullivan, Davis McGraw, and Zachary Husband. Bit was written by C.A. Sullivan and featured the vocal talents of James Reed and Cody Sullivan. Pulp from Beyond the Veil is a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill, a podcast company in the great state of Vermont. Until next time, take care, be kind, and stay strange. This is Cody Sullivan, signing off.